Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today... I can't believe I forgot to silence my phone, but uh, hang on, everyone, just one moment. I need, I need to take this. Hello? What's your favorite scary movie podcast? Me? Well, I've, I've always been a, a fan of the true crime comedies myself, you ever hear of uh, the last podcast on the left? Is that the one with a bunch of semi-knowledgeable dorks sitting around the table talking about murder and laughing at their own jokes? Yeah, sort of. It's it's more like an analysis and the, even a bit of a parody of what's happening in the minds of serial. You listen to me, new nerd. No one asks for your shitty opinions. Oh, hold up there. That's a little bit harsh, don't Shut you? Shut up, you loud mouthful. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little game. You're going to finish your podcast and give Scream a, a good review. Unless you want listeners to see what your insides look like all over the internet. Wait, are you threatening me? You know, I have the power on social media and... I'll be listening. Well, uh, I, I guess in fear for my life, today we'll be reviewing Scream, a.k.a. Scream 5, a.k.a. 5 Cream as Brock Lake coined in our most recent episode. We'll start with an icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review and verdict on the film, and then we'll conclude our conversation by going into an in-depth spoiler section discussion. And just uh, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this actually serves as a part two to our Scream conversation, uh, because we previously spoke about Scream one through four in a retrospective episode, uh, which you can find uh, by heading on over to the cinematropolis.com. Now I'm so excited to be rejoined by those same guests here who will as always be answering the ominous. What's your favorite scary movie call? First up, we're joined by an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, a scream super fan. And I would say this month's birthday superstar, Laurent Chapman, Laurent, welcome back to the cinematic schematic. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. We're also joined by a Cinematropolis co-founder who is also with Planet Thunder Productions and the director of the upcoming film Hell Hath No Fury, Zachary Burns. Zachary, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Glad to be here. And I'm so thrilled to be rejoined by my friend, the Brockness monster of graphic designers, Brock Lay. Brock, welcome back. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's uh, intimidating being with an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker and Someone who just made a movie and I'm just the Brock Ness monster of uh, graphic designers. I need to start working on some things. Brock, everybody knows that the graphic designer is the least expendable character in any horror movie. So I, I think this actually positions you well for this podcast. Happy to be here. <laughs> now, before we get into today's review, I did want to quickly note that if you are listening to the show today and you enjoy our conversation, I really hope that you'll support the show by subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. So that is especially Apple Podcasts. But as of recently, you can actually head on over to Spotify and leave us a rating there as well. Uh, you know, this is a show we don't take donations currently. So the most important way that you can support the show is by leaving us a rating and a review so that we can get discovered by more listeners just like you. But with all of that said, let's go ahead and move on to our icebreaker question for today so that listeners can get to know a little bit more about what we bring to the table. Who is your favorite horror movie villain? 
This could be, of course, a, a slasher via Michael Myers. Maybe it could be like a, a demon from The Exorcist uh, or some other sort of antagonist type character from a horror film. Laurent Chapman, who is your favorite horror movie villain? You know, I'm going to just follow through with this. I think that it is Michael Myers. I think he is the scariest person behind a mask that's ever terrorized a bunch of teenagers. Um, I think it's because he doesn't speak. Something interesting and ominous about that. His motivation is never clear. We just know that he is the personification of evil and that whoever is in front of him is probably not going to last very long. So I find that really terrifying. So I think he's probably my favorite um, horror movie villain. I mean, I think Dr. Loomis just uh, describes him so eloquently in the original Halloween. They also include a monologue from him in Halloween H2O about the, the soullessness and the blackness in his eyes. Yeah. The shape. The shape. Great pick. Zachary Burns, who is your favorite horror movie villain? I have a few. Just just because. One, uh, I got to go with Frankenstein's monster from the original Frankenstein movie. Uh, it's incredible. Um, he's iconic in his appearance. I also am drawn to those tragic villains that, you know, you can even really say that Frankenstein's monster isn't actually the villain of the movie. I like Frankenstein cause he's super cool and super tragic. And then I also really love the Wolfman. Some classics. Uh, yeah. Going classics on, on this one. I, I have one more. Don't worry. <laughs> what I really like about the Wolfman as a villain and as a monster is, uh, the villain is just yourself, uh, which is really cool. Um, uh, it just makes you afraid of, yourself and what you're capable of and what you could do, which is just, I like that inner turmoil. Like I said, I come drawn to the, the tragic, tragic villains, probably the villain that has actually legitimately given me nightmares uh, a couple times is it from it follows. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah, I was going to let you think it, the clown. Yeah, no, yeah, you're no, talking no. about different the, it. Yeah. Um, that's and a good I, one. I love that villain, that monster because it's, it's never explained what it is. We just know that it's, it is it's, coming from it's you. coming for you. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It can appear as anyone, uh, but it's always, always coming for you. Um, and uh, yeah, that one just, I've literally woken up from nightmares of, uh, you know, the moment, I don't know why this particular moment, but in the movie, when it's broken into that one kid's house and it's just banging on the door, I've woken up having that nightmare of that it outside the door and just like, Oh fuck. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> so then I woke up I'm and so uh, sorry. just sat there for a while. <laughs> and so, yeah, those, those are some of the big ones. I think those are good ones. The thing about the, it follows, you mentioned the banging on the, the window, which is terrifying. I, the one that also gets me is when they open the door, the bedroom door for someone else. And then it crawls right through and the uh, other yeah. people can't see it, but yeah. you're like, holy shit. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's right there. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. Oof. Yeah. That's creepy. All right. Brock Lay, favorite horror movie. Killer villain. Two. The first one is um, the shark from Jaws, which made me even scared to swim in a swimming pool as a child. Um, just terrifying thinking of something like that that could be living in the water. That's just... I don't know, underneath the surface you can't see. That's just something that is pretty terrifying, something that you don't know is there until it's there. 
Uh, but the actual horror movie villain that uh, is probably my favorite is Freddy Krueger. He's almost the opposite of Michael Myers in that he is so animated and so just out there that it's just even more terrifying because you can tell how much joy he takes in terrorizing and killing these teenagers. It's hard to run from something whenever he comes to you when you're immobile, when you're asleep. And so it's something that just you have that fear of, but you know that you have to fall asleep. You have to sleep. It's something that has to be done. So there's it's an inevitability that you're going to see him. And that's pretty scary to think about. And just how iconic his look is with no mask. It's his actual face that he has that's burnt and torn. And then the hat. And then, the, of course, the red and green sweater with the razor glove. I think it's just one of the more creative and just, I don't know, really cool horror villains that is out there. I, I, I watched him as a kid and like, he had kind of had this like weird, funny glee in what he was doing that it was almost like entertaining to me, whatever I, I would watch it. I think Freddie's great. Uh, he has a com- comparatively more personality uh, than we get from Jason or Michael Myers. I also have to say uh, Michael Myers is uh, another one that that uh, hits home just because he doesn't emote because he seems so unstoppable. They, they've done everything they can. He he feels like uh, evil incarnate to a large extent, Leron. So I don't want to reiterate too much what you said there. He's inaccessible too. You just can't reach him. He's yeah, just, he's just when his yeah. psychologist is like he's got to fucking die. You know this guy's probably a little off. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> just kill him. <laughs> just, just, just get rid of that dude. <laughs> it's like he's not great. I'd also throw out there, uh, again, execution's kind of spotty throughout the series. I do like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Again, it's grounded a little more in the real world, just so I can kind of add some flavor to the mix here. And then I also find the demon and the exorcist uh, very uh, upsetting. I'll give an honorable mention to uh, Charles Lee Ray. Chucky's a pretty fun villain. I, I, I like that dude, even though I shouldn't like that dude. Side note, I hear the show is, is very good. I've heard good things. You've seen it? Seen it? It's fun. It's not like a, a dumb knock. It's like there's some cool ideas in it. Well, because the show is still run by the the guy who made the movies, right? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. What, Mancini, right? Mancini. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's good. Lots of clever two. modern insights. And I think that was really cool. I didn't expect it to be so insightful. I thought it was just going to be like fan service. And there's that too. But it's like a, a nice balance of both. So. Laurent just sold me on it because I was very, I was skeptical when they announced it. Yeah. Uh, and then when people were saying it's good, I'm like, but Chucky TV show. No, it sounds, uh, yeah, it didn't, it, there's but, no reason it should be good, yeah, yeah, but, but it is, but it's working. So I might have to, might have to check it out. Um, all right, listeners. Well, those are our favorite, uh, movie killers or movie villains or movie serial killers. Uh, what are yours? Uh, let us know by sending us an email at the cinematropolis at gmail.com or by hitting us up on social media at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on Twitter at the cinematrop. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived. It's time for our review of Scream. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm, I know who you are. I've been through this a lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is gonna keep coming for you. You ready? For this? Never. Oh, stop. Wait, wait, wait. Scream 2022 is described as 
25 years after the original series of murders in Woodsboro, a new ghost face emerges. Shocker. And Sidney Prescott must return to uncover the truth. Uh, so a couple of fun facts. Well, really one I just want to note is that uh, this is the first Scream since 2011. The first four films were all produced by the Weinstein Company. So, you know, we all know how that ended up. This sequel is the first to come out of a different studio. Again, as I think I noted in our retrospective episode, the Weinsteins had actually sort of given up on doing more sequels. And this sequel came about after Spyglass Media bought the rights after the closing of the Weinstein Company. So, I don't know. I It's just some fun movie trivia that, that might be useful. I, I also want to note here that, as with all the Scream films, there has been so much secrecy around this specific film. We always know who is the killer is a big question. So, with that in mind, we're going to keep the spoiler-free discussion very short. Let's get started. For the table, what did you think of Scream 2022? What did you like? What didn't you like? And, Zach Burns, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I had myself a good time. I enjoyed some of the the new themes that they brought in. Man, this is a hard movie to talk about without doing spoilers. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I enjoyed some of the themes that they they were able to bring into it uh, in in today's uh, relationship with movies, um, especially with fans' relationship to movies, um, and how that can be a good and bad thing. And then there are some aspects that I was less keen on mostly in this i can speak about this freely um is more from a technical standpoint uh the entire movie is shot in close-ups you barely get a sense of where people are in the movie and that just bugs the hell out of me and that's the trend i see in a lot of movies these days is they're kind of being shot more like tv uh and that everything is just single close-ups of each character saying their dialogue uh, and there's hardly any wide shots. And it's just like, that's just really boring to watch from a cinematography standpoint. So I wasn't really a big fan of how this movie was shot, but outside of that, I liked a lot of what the story was doing. I'm kind of conflicted about this one. Zachary Burns is conflicted. Brock lay. What did you think of scream? I am not conflicted. I know how I feel. I really like this movie. <laughs> I really like the story. I feel like this one really brings back like, I don't know. It has like a new spin on that, on that metaverse kind of thing of like what it was doing, like in the previous films that it kind of, I, it kind of strays. It kind of goes up and down throughout the series as to like being meta. And that's kind of like what it was built on. But I feel like this one did a really good job of that. I really enjoyed the new cast of, uh, youngins, I guess we'll call them. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I've never felt so old than watching the the teenagers in this movie. I'm like, oh man, because Brock, I think you said in a retrospective episode, you're like, yeah, I totally connect with the teenagers in 2011. Myself, I felt the same way. I was like, yeah, see, I'm cool and hip. And then these kids show up and you're like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm oh, no. 11 years later. Oh I'm no. Now old. <laughs> I'm now Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you all about these whippersnappers here. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed, uh, the twins. Uh, Let's see, mm-hmm. who is that? Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown. Shout out Yellow Jackets. If you're not watching that, get on it. Excellent TV. Check it out. They're kind of the new Meekses of the group. I guess one of them is, but just, I don't know. I really enjoyed the banter between like kind of the new cast members. I guess Mason Gooding, I just found out it's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. So it's, I don't know. It's just kind of cool seeing, you know, 
these new people brought in that are the kids of actors that I watched growing up, kind of seeing that next generation step up and like take their place. I, I thought, uh, again, I, I won't say too much, but they did play with that generational thing a little bit. There was a joke. There was like a lot of Gen Z jokes, not like knocking Gen Z anyway. It was more of it being playful, like with the generational differences. I thought that was kind of clever, yeah. uh, like Jack Quaid yelling Gen Z when he was talking to like a room full of teenagers. And that's another thing. It was actually funny while also still being very brutal uh, with the kills. It, it really had that good balance that, you know, you found kind of in the earlier films. LaRon Chapman, what did you think of Scream? I was, this is one of those things where like, you should not set your, I was like, you shouldn't set your expectations high. Here, this movie is coming out 11 years after four, um, which didn't perform as well as we, as it was expected to. Um, Wes Craven, rest in peace, is no longer with us. You have a new, you have a new cast. You have a new, um, new directors. I mean, they did ironically make a good film, uh, ready or not, right, right ahead of this. But part of me went into it thinking, like, yes, obviously, I would love to see another Scream movie, but without the right recipe of things together, I don't see how this can be good. This is going to be something where I go with all this anticipation and leave super disappointed. That was not the case. This is one of those one times where, one of those random lightning in a bottle moments where not everything works, but enough of it works that it it warrants existing. It warrants, it adds something to the franchise. It definitely, it makes some of the weaker elements in the in the franchise better because it calls back to them in that way. So I um I was delighted by this actually. I was really delighted by how how solid it was when everything came full circle. Yeah, Laurent, I I'll say I'm on a I was in a similar position as you. I I love the previous four films when they announced there was a new one coming out. I was really skeptical, but then they announced it was a whole roller coaster. Now we we absolutely don't need a Scream Five. What is there to be said, really? And then they announced it's from the people who did the director's who did right or not. I was like, oh, that's a really good horror movie that also is very subversive in plays with tropes and audience expectations. And I was like, wait a second. I'm curious now. Uh, I think that was the big thing. And then uh, and then I thought the first trailer looked not great. And then the review, uh, the first wave of reviews came out and they were like over the moon. And I was like, holy cow. OK, we might have a good screen movie on our hands. And. I'm really happy to report that, yes, we have a very good screen movie on our hands. It, no matter what Zach says. <laughs> I still overall liked it. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it doesn't have weaknesses. There are a few. We'll definitely get into more in depth in spoilers. I noticed the close-up thing, Zach. It was a little different. I notice. Uh, I also personally love the young cast. I love Jack Quaid. Uh, even Dylan Minnette as Wes Hicks, not in a lot, very funny. Jasmine Savoy Brown steals every scene she's in. Mason Gooding's excellent. Like it just really was a great supporting cast. Except, except for, are you going to say it? I'll R say it. Marissa Barrera. Oh, that's that. what I was going to say. Uh, she's unfortunately, she was the only one. That's the thing. All these kids felt like kids. She was the one who I felt like was acting the whole time. And uh, she doesn't ruin the movie. She's not like yeah. offensively bad. It yeah. just- She's just notably not as good. Not exactly. <laughs> not as good as, so much that I can say, mm, yeah. But it's just Same funny. facial expression through the entire movie. And uh, she's the- Main character. She's the main character. Yeah. Interesting choice. So, you know, it's it's it, that makes it a little more challenging. But hey, 
the kills are still there. The thrills are there. They play with your expectations. Uh, I, again, was saying, well, what more is there to really be said about horror films? And, you know, since Scream 4 came out. And turns out they've got some things to say. Um, and they have a lot of fun riffing on the zeitgeist. Surprising no one. So overall, pretty happy with it at the end of the day. How well do the old school cast fare in this movie? We talked about the young cast. I just want to mention it. So if there's that or anything else you want to talk about in the spoiler-free section, I'll lay it out there. I, for one, thought it was a really good use of them without being too specific. Let's just say this film uh, definitely leans into the trend we've seen uh, with the film calls them requels. I call them legacy sequels, which we'll talk about in spoilers. But the, the idea of like the passing of the torch type of, but also still a sequel. Uh, I thought they were really well deployed here. Any thoughts on the the OG cast here? Yes, this is a spoiler, but it has nothing to do with the outcome or the movie whatsoever. You can mute this if you think it's a spoiler. Sydney marries Mark from Screen Three. <laughs> so if you I listen to the retrospect, right. I said I, they had I no was, chemistry. I was wrong because uh, they get married and have kids. I was trying to remember if it was that because I was I couldn't remember if his name was Mark in Scream Three or not. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's hilarious. So she finds happiness with the Kincaid, <laughs> yeah, with with no the person with no chemistry that they had together. But they had twins. Eleven years is a long time. <laughs> it's true. I like the OG cast. Um, it just it kind of grounds the the movie like in into the past. Like it just just brings that level of not you know kind of comfort of like people that you've grown to love and just knowing where they're at in their life no matter where. And you need it. You really need it to ground this franchise because I, I while I think the great the new cast was great, I think for the most part they were all they were all likable and enjoyable. Some of the best that we've had in the franchise. I do like that they sidelined the characters to some degree. Where they're there for purpose and intent, they're 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 there for very specific reasons. They're not there to carry the movie; they're there to come in when it's necessary for the plot. Um, I found that very interesting because I I was actually surprised by how little Nev Campbell is in the movie. Um, she doesn't come in till pretty late, and then she only stays for a little bit of time. You know, um, same with Gail, same with Dewey. You know, so. Um, but I think that when they're used, they're used very purposeful. And I thought that was good. I do think Dewey sheds his uh, kind of his, his label that he had throughout all the other movies of kind of being this like doofus kind of like yeah. where he like says, how do you know I'm not using that to gain an advantage? I feel like in this one, like he's kind of, I don't know, not grown up, but like he's aged into like who he really is and like what he wants to be. So I don't know. I kind of like that. They gave him that, that arc kind of like, yeah. David Arquette in this one is really good. Yes. Really good. He, uh, he's reached his, uh, I'm too old for the shit phase and, and he plays <laughs> yeah. it really he's well. Play, he does plenty of well. Phase. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Cool. Zach, anything you want to add about the, uh, OG cast? Here? Uh, uh, yeah, I think overall the OG cast in this movie was handled really well. Uh, like I said, David Arquette, is shines in this movie really well. Um, uh, going back to what you said, Laron, how, uh, how surprisingly little Nev Campbell is in this movie. I do think that's a little bit of a knock against it. Um, I would have liked a little bit more Sydney in there. Um, just because, um, literally every movie before this one has been Sydney's story. So she's the focus. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's not that I needed her to be the focus of this movie, but, um, even if we just had like one or two more scenes with her, I think sure. it would have been nice. Maybe we see a little bit of her with 
Mark and the twins. Because uh, we actually don't see them in the movie at all. No. Um, I would never argue against more screen time with yes. Nev Campbell in anything. Yes. So. Yeah. But overall, uh, I thought they were utilized very well with within the, the new cast. What letter grade would we give Scream 2022? Because we're going to speak more in depth in the spoilers here. We'll keep it short. Uh, so, Laurent Chapman, I'll, I'll pass it to you first. Uh, I give this one a solid A-. minus. A-. minus. Okay. All right. Zachary Burns? Uh, I'll, I'll give it a B minus. B minus. Okay. Brock Lay. I had to drop it half a letter grade because of them not using the letter or the number, sorry, the number five. <laughs> <In the time laughs> it would yeah. fit so damn well with cream. Five <laughs> looks like an S from a, I am the Brockness monster of graphic designers and I approve the five in the title <laughs> sequence. So honestly, I gave it an A minus as well. I'm with you. I give it an A minus. Okay. I think it's a great film. I got to say, not perfect, but pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. You know, again, I, I just want to reiterate something I said last episode. One of these days, we're going to do a whole podcast where we try to piece together what happens in the Stab movies. Because the other thing I want to say <laughs> is, guys, I really want to watch Stab 8. Heck yeah. How does Ghostface get a flamethrower? I, I, need, to and see, and why? I need to see that. I need to see it. Guys, it's not like the other movies. He liked Tarantino movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, okay, so say if the listeners really enjoy Scream 2022 and they want to watch something similar, what's another alternate movie, television, novel, music, video game recommendation you give to listeners? Uh, Zach, I'll start with you. Um, I will, uh, something that kind of fits the theme, but isn't horror movie necessarily, but kind of fits the idea of a movie being a parody of something, but also being a really good example of that exact same thing, uh, is the movie clue. Um, it's a really good parody of kind of the mystery whodunit type movies while also just being a pretty good whodunit type movie. Definitely leans heavy into comedy. Uh, it's a straight dark comedy, uh, but it is it is hilarious. It is a hoot. It's got excellent performances from so many people at the top of the list being Tim Curry uh, is incredible. Christopher Lloyd is in there. Madeline Kahn is in there. Bunch of other character actors you'll recognize. Um, but yeah, Clue. It's great. Also, they have uh, the an ending that was so secretive that they have <laughs> three different endings yeah, that yeah, got yeah. released to audiences. I rewatched Clue um, in preparation for the, my supporting role in um, Zachary's uh, directorial debut, Hell Have No Fury. So, um, yes, I think that's a great example, a great thing to kind of pair with this. But so you're telling me, not only was I not invited to your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> But I was also you have no idea how much I'm regretting this. Not invited to be in your movie, even though we just met. <laughs> I do you not know, care. Uh, you know, once they invent some time travel uh, and that's feasibly possible, then I will go back in time and invite you to be in my movie. Wait to be an extra. Uh, he co-produced a movie about time travel called Shifter. You, I mean, it's did you Jack. learn nothing? <laughs> learned nothing. Well, didn't really work out. <laughs> In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Chapman, what would you uh, recommend to the audience? So I think an obvious one for me, I mean, this is not a scary film, but like the, the scary movie franchise is pretty, I mean, the first <laughs> two especially are pretty great. If you've seen these movies in particular, there's a lot of play on play. In fact, uh, when I showed these movies to Craig, cause he also had never seen these movies prior to the pandemic because I force fed him to him as well. 
Um, and he he liked them. He was surprised. He's like, normally you force feed me things and I hate them. I liked this actually. <laughs> Even he actually liked Scream Three the most, which is oh wow, one of those. And it's just like, but why? And so it's like whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think um, a, a, a maybe a better, more current example because most people have seen Scary Movie um, is Freaky. I found to be particularly subversive and fun um, play on the horror genre and the body swap genre. I didn't expect it to be nearly as funny and clever as it was. Um, And I think people who like horror movies and for people who like this level of comedy and, and horror, uh, that balance of it, it's a, it's a good, um, it's a good display of that. So freaky um, with Vince Vaughn. Great performance from Vince Vaughn too. Going back to uh, scary movie, uh, I saw that movie in theaters. So you wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Yep. Wait a second. Yeah. Put those you, pieces you, together. You saw you scary lost. movie. You what was going on? But you didn't see Scream. For shame. Yeah. For shame. Yeah. So I saw scary movie when it came out, but only saw Scream movies until just now. I watched it the other day as well. It holds up. Does it? Especially the, the first one. Yes. I've not seen it since it the theater. It is so funny. I, I'm not going to lie. I had written off all the scary movies. But again, Brock, both you and Laron in separate conversations both have said, yeah, yeah, scary movie. The original is great. I'm like, well, damn. The second I, I, one's I, great. I need to reconsider it. Yeah. Well, Craig, for the longest time, my partner Craig, for the longest time, thought that Scream was scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see why he wouldn't want to watch yeah. him. He was like, uh, isn't that the one with Anna Ferris? It's like, No. There is an actual movie called Scream that Scary Movie is based on. He was like, uh, I don't think so. I'm like, no, I'm 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 positive it is because we're gonna watch them tonight. So um, but yes, so that that's I find that little tidbit very funny that the that both of those franchises became so popular that they do kind of merge in terms because they're doing the same thing. They're parodying other movies, but it's just the level of dopiness is is it, it, basically they started with Scream Three with those, you know. So, yeah. But yes, but yeah. <laughs> All right, Brock Lay, what would you uh, recommend to listeners who enjoy Scream? Uh, the first one, just because of just like the connection, the directors, uh, what is it, Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillette. There, I think Laron, you touched on it, ready or not, just how awesome that movie was, and how cool and fun, and just I don't know, just the story behind it. There's just really original and really cool. Uh, that's one just to check out. But I think as far as a whodunit, one that I have always loved and still to this day, like we'll watch and just like, wow, this was fantastic is, uh, the 2003 movie identity with John Cusack. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It takes place yeah. in, uh, the motel with the group of people, uh, being killed off and not knowing who it is. That is again, a very, I, th- I feel like a very original, very different take on a horror movie that really worked. Yeah, that's a terrific recommendation. A film yeah. that a lot of people don't talk about anymore, yeah. frankly. Yeah. It's Very great. underrated. I agree. Mm-hmm. And you cannot beat John Cusack in the rain. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Well, you know, I would say, Laurent, I actually had Freaky on my list. So you took that one right out of my mouth. So great minds think alike. Uh, I'd also throw this out there. Uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, a movie that I'm surprised by how many people haven't seen it. I, it was a super mega low budget movie, basically a no budget movie. But it's one of those that you would think like with Cabin in the Woods taking off and the Scream films, you would think at some point it would have like popped up and everyone would have 
like the internet would have caught on to this is a great movie. No, but it's like a, a documentary style take on the serial killer. Like, so, so instead of like, like imagine if it's Michael Myers, isn't the crazy solace guy. He just pretends to be the crazy solace guy. He's just a normal dude who wants to be a world famous serial killer in a horror movie. Imagine a documentary about him preparing to do the thing he's doing. And he also understands all the tropes of the horror movie. So he's trying to play into them as much as possible. Ron, have you seen this movie? I have not seen like this picking movie. His, he like picks his final girl. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it's I, really I won't, funny. I won't say who, but at a certain point, his like arch nemesis. Rock, can I see your pen? <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I clicking it too much? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Because no, I'm going to write down some things. Well, well uh, for another example, I won't say who it is, but his arch nemesis arrives and he gets excited. Cause he's like, I got an Ahab. He calls like his, uh, Dr. <laughs> Loomis is like his Ahab, the guy yeah. who's going to take, you know, try to take him down and everything. It's, it's super fun. It, I think, gosh, it came out like 2003, 2004. So it's been around for a, a while and like not many people have seen it. So, uh, behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, check it out. We've already mentioned yellow jackets just concluded its first season. I know you're saying, why the hell would I get a showtime subscription? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was a sucker who went back for Dexter and, stayed for yellow jackets and and you could do it too and uh, you know what it's all out now so you can just subscribe for a month watch it and then cancel talk I, about I, a young cast My oh goodness. yeah fantastic oh great show sorry i just thought of one more recommendation yeah uh just because i want to draw this out as long as possible i guess <laughs> um uh there was a movie i'm not even sure if it got distribution somewhere i hope so i saw it at the austin film festival in like 2016 um it's called found footage 3d did that ever come out? I have no idea. I mean, it's essentially the scream of found footage movies uh, where it's uh, this group of people come together to make a low budget found footage movie. Uh, and they decide the producer is like, let's do it in 3D because 3D was a thing back in. Um, and so they're like, OK, cool. Um, and so it's yeah, it's a, it's a movie that basically completely makes fun of found footage horror movies uh while also being a really good found footage horror movie and it's like it's it's scary it's funny yeah it's actually it's a lot of fun i don't know if you can find it somewhere but if you can find it somewhere that sounds you should you should give it a watch it's a lot of fun (laughs) i'm gonna do some sleuthing listeners and if it exists it will be in the show if it exists for you to access it will be in the the link will be in the show notes it's a lot of fun we should do a pod on it if we all can find yeah we want to actually i agree and then we are found footage you know all right, so last spoiler-free section here. I, we're really going to dive into the meat of the film, but we love ranking the series. We just spent some time doing it in our last episode of 1 through 4. Where does 5 fit into the picture? Because I will say for me, 5 really complicates things quite a bit. Uh, so, Brock, I'm going to start with you. Where would you rank 5? I am going to pull a Zach, if who did this in the retrospect. I am <laughs> going to kind of pair 5 and 4 together because it's very hard. Um I honestly have one, five, four, two, three, but I feel like five and four could flip and I wouldn't be super upset about it. But for now, one, five, four, two, three. All right. Great ranking. Zachary Burns. Uh, I will do as I did before one uh, and then two and four are kind of tied and then I'll probably do five and three. Okay. All right. LaRon Chapman. I'll stick to the quality ranking here and not my preferential ranking and just say that one, two, and five are like so close, like so close. Like it's razor thin, but I'm going to go ahead and just say that I've had more of a relationship with two. So two, it goes one, two, five, four, three. 
Okay. Do you have a preferential rating though? I have to ask. I, mean, I do. It's two, <laughs> one, five, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me to watch these movies, like what 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 am I more inclined to watch again? That's my preferential rating. But the filmmaker in me who knows better can say this is better than this movie. The writing's better in this movie. The filmmaking's better in this. Every time y'all say two, I honestly think that I don't like. Jerry O'Connell in the movie, and that's what brings it down for me. And I like it, but I feel like every time, like I think of two, I'm like, oh fuck, but, Jerry O'Connell, <laughs> Slider. Is Jerry it, O'Connell. Is it the song? Is it the song scene? Yeah, is that I think so. I, I don't know. It's just maybe because I thought. He is was it because he gave up the someone. letters? Are you a part of that? <laughs> yeah, that, that fraternity. I'm a frat bro. And you don't. Get- I gotta say, I, I mean, Melissa Barrera brings this whole one down for me, and she's the main character. Jerry O'Connell's only a side character in that movie, so. uh I would go, I'm going to be pretty close to Brock here. I'm going to go one, five, four. And I'm actually going to talk about this in spoilers. Five and four really could go either way, depending on the mood I'm in. So uh, then two and then three. I'm changing mine. One, four, five, because Hayden Panettiere is better than the main character of that's, there you go. That's, that's you helped absolutely me. Thank you. fair. Okay. There it is. All right. At this point, it's time to to. to you know, yeah, kill your darling. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those are our thoughts on Scream, the spoiler free thoughts that is. With all that said, let's go ahead and move into our spoiler section of Scream 5. So if you don't want to be spoiled, and seriously, folks, if you haven't seen the movie, you really don't want to be spoiled, uh, go ahead and tune out now. If they'd watch Palm Night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it, a very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. I've got a few different topics here, but let's just go ahead and get this one out of the way. The killers are revealed at the end of the film. It's revealed that uh, Sam's boyfriend, Richie, played by Jack Quaid, and Amber, who is played by Mikey Madsen, were the killers. We're going to get into motives kind of throughout the sort of spoiler section here. But were you guys satisfied with this twist? LaRon, I'm going to turn it to you first. Yes and no. Yes, I I think the motivation was interesting. I like the I like again this similar to Scream Four, but a little bit more modern, talking about toxic fan culture. And I thought that being the motivating factor was interesting because that exists very heavily and very prevalent today um, in many different manifestations. But there was one part of me that wished there was one more beat drop. You know, in terms of like, um, this is the reveal. That's cool. But you know what really would have been cool is having a third killer. You know, come out of them out of the wing. Maybe one of the Meeks twins, or one of the, you know, just or even in um, one of the theories that came up before the film came out um, was that they were all in this like toxic fan culture folk. Yeah, yeah. That would have been super cool to see like six or seven villains. You know, like they're all coming out of the woodworks. They all were in on it. That's why certain attacks were just attacks and not actual kills, you know, because they were just baiting the new cast to come back. I mean, the old cast to come back so they can do this really big hoorah at the end. That would have been really cool. Um, So I feel like there's a level of like a missed opportunity there um, with the reveals here because it's cool that it harkens back to the original and that there's a recreation of it of sorts, which is fine. Um, I was fine with that and the motivation. I just think that there was an opportunity to even expand it even further 
and and actually have a genuine shock that we haven't seen before or any iteration of before in the previous four sequels. To add on to that, I think, and again, this is probably to do with the fact that I've watched all five of these movies within a two-week period, or week and a half period, actually. The two-killer reveal, it's done in every movie except for the third one. It Again, I don't want to review the movie they didn't make. I want to review the movie they did make. But I will say, I was also with you, like, I was expecting there to be an and. Like, I was like, okay, here's the twist. Okay, it's these two people. And even the way the movie ends, it's a little slower, more drawn out. I was honestly waiting for something else to happen. And again, maybe that just kind of speaks to how well the franchise has branded itself as like being full of like shocking twists and stuff. But I was like, there, I was like, oh, there's going to be something else. Meeks twins, Colt. Uh, at one point, I even threw out the idea of, uh, again, playing into the, the critique of the movie, but, which is, but there was an idea of like, oh, what if one of the OGs was the killer? Cause they're trying to like end yeah. the franchise or yeah. something, you know? I told Caleb it was uh, Hicks. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, I, I that just want to been cool too. Yeah, could have been fun. <laughs> but I just want to echo that sentiment that it felt like there was a little tiny bit of something missing, though. Positive thoughts, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I watched this movie twice. The first time, loved it. Thought it was missing something. Once I knew exactly what I was getting into. Second time, loved it more. Because once I removed the expectation of there needed to be something else and knew what it was, I realized how actually incompetent the killers were throughout most of the movie. Specifically at the end, they ha- their their plan was not as thought out. Uh, the fact that they thought the two of them were going to be able to hold, like I think I counted like five people hostage at the end without something going wrong. They're, they're sloppy. They're yeah. cocky. Left Jenna Ortega un unsupervised and closed. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Exactly. They'll have Gail Weathers laying in the front lawn for yeah. a long period of time. She has nine lives. She said this in the second <laughs> one. It's like, no. So I, I found that funny because it sort of reinforces the critique that fans are actually not as good at doing the thing as the original creators are. When you rewatch it, just watch it, how much they slip up specifically in like the last act. It's, it's really funny. Um, so anyway, that, that was, a I think the second take is where that really worked better for me. I need to stop talking. I'm going to pass it over to Brock Lay. What did you think of the killer reveal? Well, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And even sitting here talking about it in this, in this setting, I think Ron, I think you saw me smirking at you when you were giving your answer and it was because what like, it's meta on meta, what we're doing right now was the basis for what they did in the movie. We're sitting here and you're saying, well, why wasn't it a cult with six or seven killers? That would have been cool. Yep. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, what if one of us is super fucked up? (laughs) And they're like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to get some people and we're going to make it public of six or seven people that are doing this. And that's going to be a story and they'll make a movie out of that. Well, we didn't like that because of that. And it's the exact same thing that happened in the movie. And so that's why it's successful is because it literally plays on fan culture and that's what we're doing here. And so, I don't know, I just really, I really dug that. And I, and I can see people doing that. Like you think the, the first film, Revenge, second film, Fame with a little revenge. It was kind of both. Third film, Revenge, fourth film, Fame. This one's like, it's not so much fame because they don't care if, they're the, if they don't want to be known that's them. They just want to rewrite what they feel was wrong. And so like, you know, I was talking with somebody today and, Dwayne Johnson's remaking Big Trouble in Little China. And I was like, fuck that. That is a movie from my childhood. And whenever you were talking about that, I was like, 
well, fuck, what if I just murder Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, if Dwayne Johnson uh, goes missing next week. It's that fan culture of like, what can I change? Because that is something that I have grown up with. Like the screams, we've had it for 25 years. And we're sitting here talking about something that has been part of our, well, most of us, Zach, <laughs> of our, Sorry, our childhood, our adolescence, our adulthood that we sometimes, I mean, Ron, you might lean on it because you're such a fan on it. I, I, you know, love that. I love the, the, the spoof movies with the scary movies. And so it's just funny to think like it can't not be successful because we are doing the exact same thing that the movie is talking about. So therefore it is successful because it's true. Mm -hmm. Also, it's worth pointing out that the movie was made not by Wes Craven, but by fans. It's very true. It's not Wes Craven. It's not Kevin Williamson. It's two fans of the franchise hearkening back to all of these different films and finding a, a way to send off everything they loved about it. And so, yeah, it's, there's going to be a level of expectation, a level of like, are they going to go this route? There's the theory that Stu is still alive from the first one, like all these crazy theories, just silly things that people really believe were going to happen in this one. That would have been so stupid. Fan fiction is, is nine times out of 10. Very, very bad. It's never as good as like professionals who actually think, and I'm not saying that like professionals who do it all the time are always hitting home runs every time, but I'm saying there's a lot of times like fans really get into their own ideas and they get really mad when what comes is not like the thing they want. I asked the question going into this movie to myself, I'm like, what has really changed in horror since 2011? Because frankly, I'm not saying there haven't been changes. There's an elevated horror genre. Well, quote unquote elevated horror <laughs> genre that I didn't know that that's what it was called, but sure. Uh, you know, movies that have more sophistication that have kind of risen for the ashes. There's been more attention to indies, but here's the thing. Scream's not really super interested in those. It's interested in riffing on the popular popcorn horror movies that make tons of money and things haven't changed nearly as dramatically as the change that we saw. I don't know from say 2000 to 2011 between scream three and scream four, but you know what has changed fans ability to vocalize their opinions about the things they love. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing inherently. The problem that we've seen I say this as a person who started this podcast and other podcasts. I had a whole Game of Thrones podcast because I really love the things I spend time doing. But like a lot of times fans take things too personally. And if it's they're so invested that they can't separate their identity from the thing they love. And therefore, when someone comes along and does something different, they get on the Internet and oh, whoa, they destroyed my childhood. By the way, the scene where they're laying out the rules is literally them talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. I was going to say The Last Jedi. <laughs> down to like the, the quotes they yeah. say that people said on the internet about Stab 8. It's literally the same thing. The monologue, though, that Mindy makes about requels is like, that's like a scene, that's a moment. And I love it because it's so real. Like, I was watching it with Craig and the funny thing, my partner Craig, and it's so funny. Like looking at him, he's like, oh my God, this is you. We've had an iteration of this conversation before. Like he's like, this scene is so brilliant because it actually represents a whole culture of people that that talk and act like this. He's like, it's like, so I can appreciate this scene. The humor is that I recognize someone that's just like that. He <laughs> was so, like, we talked about this and you like, like just beat me over the head with it. And now it's just funny because it's in a whole movie. Someone wrote it about you. And they don't even know you. So obviously there's more people like you. Um, 
Sorry, I got off on the tangent with one of the, the topics, Zach, but I want, I want to make sure you have a chance to weigh in. Like, what did you think about the killer reveal? Did it work for you? Uh, yeah, I really liked the killer reveal. I liked uh, who it turned out to be, um, especially the boyfriend again. Um, but I really liked I really liked his character. Um, and uh, and he did a good job of uh, throwing you off the scent with just how much he seemed like he just didn't want to be there at all. I thought that was uh, really well done in, in throwing you off of his scent. Um, and it helps that, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's not even in Woodsboro. He's, you know, in wherever they were. Is he in Woodsboro? Because when Amber's calling, isn't he showing her video of Amber getting ready in her room or am I misremembering? No, 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 no. It's so, someone else is filming her. Someone is doing that. Yeah. So yeah. someone's filming Which her. Which one? I don't know, but yeah. 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 And while she's, okay. So I don't yeah, know. So I don't know. So it could be, maybe he did a late night road trip. Yeah, this movie has a lot of fun, just poking fun at so many things. Um, and I, I enjoy all of that, <laughs> I, especially that moment where they're <laughs> they're mad that they called the stab eight. They just called it stab instead of <laughs> following the the uh, naming convention of the previous movies, which I also internally thought, why are they calling it scream instead of just scream five? Yes. Um, which still so does, which still just does kind of annoy me. It's, yeah, um, I don't like that trend. In general, even if it's whether it's numbered or not, just like if it's not the first movie, it's just just name it something else. Give it some kind of subtitle or the number or whatever. Like that annoyed me with Halloween. That annoys me any time they do that. It annoyed me with Taken. Now I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I'm I wonder, okay with it now. Yeah. And I wondered too, like when they did that, like I'm like, I don't know if it's clever or annoying or what, like how I really still feel about it now. Because now having seen the movie, I understand why it's titled what it is. Because it's it is it's Halloween, you know, like the the requel of of Scream. It's still a sequel, though. That's what I'm saying. It is a sequel because it's a continuation of the story from one through four. You know, it's not a reboot in the sense that like things have been retconned because they harken back to everything that has happened previously. It is definitely Scream Five, but I get that like on a meta level, like calling it just Scream is the same as like Halloween being called just Halloween, knowing that there was already one before that, that already was called the same thing. So, I mean, I get that, but I just don't know like really where I stand with it. I still heart. I mean, I do think that the, um, you know, five cream is <laughs> the best option to go with. So cowards. I also, I, yeah, they were cowards. They didn't want to go with it. It's fine. It's fine. Also, you know, I, according to this film, it sounds like stab five, they went off the rails after stab five, which also by the, that. which also, by the way, yeah. if you connect the dots between, Four and this one, that's the one that involved time travel. So the time travel one <laughs> was the best one to go out on. Yes, absolutely. Apparently so. Do you guys think this adds anything meaningful to the conversation surrounding the relationship between fans and their work? Brock and I have already touched on it. Laurent or Zach, anything that you guys want to add to that? I think so, because like you said, like we've seen this reiteration of reboots. Every, like It's like Hollywood doesn't have any new ideas. They're just trying to just kind of capitalize on things that that made money beforehand that were successful beforehand um and doing so in a way where you can have someone that recreates something creates a new narrative but pays homage to what came before that is such that is so prevalent in movies right now that I think it it's fun that it that it parodies that and to some extent while still being a traditional scream movie it still follows the traditional formula it just 
page, it just, you know, has a social commentary on the larger conversation of where the film business has gone with just not even horror movies, just in general, just genre movies in general. Um, so I think that it was necessary for them to do it. Um, and I think that it it's clever in the way that it comments on it while also still following its traditional formula with it being the boyfriend, with it being, you know, about, you know, them wanting to be famous or have, again, this toxic fan, fan culture aspect to it. So it's, 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 I think it works. I think it works um, because we have other references, you know, for mm. it. So no one understands the movie like the fans, Laron. Don't they understand it's important to people? Listen, if there is one amongst us in this podcast <laughs> that was a killer, it's probably me because <laughs> I know way too much about it. So, there's that. Well, I got to see you guys later. <laughs> right. I'll be right back. Yeah, uh, sure you will. Well, Zach, what, what did you think about the sort of the commentary on the fan culture? Uh, yeah, I, I like that that new angle for the killers just because, you know, toxic fandom has just become so very prevalent and very vocal uh, that I think it's something with other movies that have come out, you know, with the Ghostbusters nonsense and Star Wars nonsense and all this other crap. Um where at some point somebody has to acknowledge it. So why not a screen movie uh, and give them, you know, cause probably some toxic fans uh, probably saw the new screen movie and, and maybe they saw themselves in the killer. And then, you know, maybe hopefully they'll be like, Oh wait, Ooh, that's not great. Uh, which I know is probably putting too much pressure on a movie to change people's lives for the better. I think it worked as a good angle for the movie itself for these times that makes it feel relevant to what it's talking about uh and uh and you know who can resist uh poking fun at toxic fanboys am i right i mean certainly something we should talk about more <laughs> movies right now because yeah. like the internet is clearly not the place to talk about it so yeah. work it out in the art <laughs> you can't argue the control that it, the social media has or the internet has with toxic fan culture because that we got the snyder cut yep. because of it yeah. We, Sonic uh, had a whole redesign. They redesigned yeah. Sonic because I mean, he looked terrifying. Like he, he did look. I mean, I admit he looks bad. But I was gonna choose him as my horror villain, but they changed, uh, <laughs> they changed the design. <laughs> People are still talking. Like, will not stop talking about the the air cut for the original Suicide Squad. So I mean, you know, fans have more leverage than they had before. Like for better or worse, like social media gives them a platform, and if there's enough of them, like you know, studios or people see like, Oh my God, there is something there that I think we can capitalize on. So it could be toxic, but also, yeah, it, it's toxic, but it's also a money maker for studios. If they see enough toxicity in social media, it's, it's aggravating because it gives the worst parts of, of fandom and the worst parts of our culture. It gives them power. Uh, it gives that, uh, our own bad instincts, uh, power that really don't need to have power um, uh, over our, our culture, uh, our pop culture of what, what we consume and how, what that art can be and what it can look like. And that's, uh, that's not great. Um, uh, uh, so anyways, yeah, it's great to have it as a good motivation for killers and a screen. But mode. if you look at, I mean, the killers reveal like, and is like, is toxic fan culture, like, what is it? But it's like, it's nothing until people want to capitalize on, toxic fan culture or i mean murders like for, for this matter like you know studios have capitalized on 
whether it's murders or deaths of people from true stories, like they've capitalized oh, yeah. on that to take that mm-hmm. and turn it into a story to make money off of it. Oh yeah. Regardless, you think of like the tsunami, like they had that movie with uh, Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. Like they made a ton of money on that because they capitalized on people suffering. And so whether it's, you know, it's, it's the studios that capitalize on it. And sometimes that toxicity that rises up, they see that and they want to capitalize on it. Well, well and the thing I find most interesting about that, the toxic, fan culture aspect of this story is that scream has been known for being a love letter to the fans of the genre and all this. And now this is the first one where I feel like they've kind of put a mirror the other direction where it's like, it's like now let's have a real conversation about how you all have been, you know, in some way detrimental to that that you know this uh, this idea of of fan culture and that's an interesting and kind of a, a daring thing to do because like why are you gonna shame the people that are coming out to see the movie right. you know like but it's a it's a it's a worthy conversation to have I think so that was that was interesting where I think this was the first time where this one felt very much directed at a specific group of people whereas the other ones were very stealthily like like uh, rewarding people who were these fans, you know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. This movie's a hit. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but I want to circle back to the state of horror movies, quote unquote, requels, or as I like to call them, legacy sequels. And uh, all credit goes to writer Matt Singer, who wrote a really great piece on screen crush years ago when, uh, Force Awakens opened up. Uh, so what are we talking about here? There's the incredible uh, scene where we get the, the monologue about requel. They call it requels in this specific movie. Uh, so if we go back as far as Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you can sort of see a prototype. You see Shia LaBeouf show up as support. And they At the time, I know it seems crazy now, especially seeing all that's happened, but at the time they were sort of positioning him as to sort of take over the mantle. There's even that scene at the end of the movie where the 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 hat blows towards him and he starts to pick it up. Like they're sort of positioning him to like, be a potential fr- take over the franchise. Um, and it's this idea of mix Hollywood mixing legacy characters with a new cast, but it's technically a sequel, even though the plot template super duper similar to what we've seen before. Uh, I mean, they name off a bunch of them in this movie. Uh, Tron legacy is another one that comes to mind. Force Awakens is easily one of the big ones. What's another one? Uh, Creed is a great example mm-hmm. of that. There are some great. I want to make sure There's it's clear. Some are good. There's some really, really good, good ones. That some are good for sure. Some are good, but but it is definitely a trend that has taken over Hollywood cinema. I mean, heck, we just saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Not saying it's a great or or a, a bad movie or a great movie, but it is a thing where they they kind of take that format and approach. So, do you think this film adequately incorporates these tropes that are? kind of described in the rules, which by the way, a plus on the rules in this movie, unlike the uh, three where I was like really questionable on how well the rules held up this movie nailed that home run out of the park. So Brock, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, were you pretty satisfied with how they incorporated these sort of requel or uh, legacy sequel rules? Yeah. Like I said, like, I mean, it shows how successful it was with Leron, you know, being there with Craig and Craig's like, that's you. Like, that's who you are. Um, so I think like they really took that and, they put it in a format that's very relatable. And you speaking of requels and legacy sequels, what the hell do we call Jurassic World Dominion then since they've already established <laughs> a reboot and now they're bringing back a Garbage. Sorry. 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 Zach Burns, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I really liked uh, that aspect of it. I also, uh, I have to note that it's actually pretty similar to what they did in Scream 4. 
Um, Bingo. Disagree. Disagree. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting because yeah, Scream Four kind of takes a lot of that approach. Um, it focuses more on uh, just straight reboots and remakes, uh, at least in their terminology. It does because the idea of legacy sequel hadn't really been established yet, um, or requel. Um, and so I actually find that interesting how both those movies kind of take that approach. And I think they both do it pretty successfully, um, in, in their, their goals and their aims, uh, from that. So, yeah, I, I really like that having that aspect again in this one, uh, with using more of that specific focus of, of the requel, uh, slash legacy sequel um, idea. Mm hmm. Yeah, Zach, you took the words right out of my mouth uh, because here's the other thing I noticed watching it, all of them in a very short proximity of time, much like yourself. There's basically the same core plot in three of these movies, but all of them serve a very different point. They're all mm -hmm. at, aiming for very different things to say. Scream three, sorry, sorry, Scream four even brings in a younger cast. It's yep. like, it's almost like a fake out. Here's the new cast. They're going to take the reins and, Oh no, see the new cast is actually the killers, yeah. you know, um, versus this movie where the main cast actually takes the mantle. Whereas the legacy characters are just sort of there when you need them. Um, I think that's a, that's a great point. Laurent, what, what do you, what do you think about how they utilize uh, legacy sequels here? You know, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's very similar to four, but I think I appreciate how much more they went into it in five. Um, I think it's expanded upon a lot more elaborately in five and utilized. It's it's stronger. It hits it hits harder for me than four. I feel like four just kind of like hinted at it, and five really just kind of broadened it. You know, so I find that the requel aspect because it's not really mentioned in that because that term didn't. Ex I don't think the term exists before this movie, to be honest with you. But like I think they brought that up, like requel, and then. Um, uh, even the legacy characters, like that's something I just started saying because they started calling Nev Campbell a legacy. I was like, oh, I like that term, legacy character. That's what she is. You know, like, like I don't know if that's brought about by the Scream franchise or if that exists in other genres. But um, I think the aspect of requel um, is done very well here, especially with all of the playback to the originals. Because I think this is the first film like there's always callbacks to the previous film but this one really brings all of all four films all five films together as a whole um and it it has that fan service aspect to it but in a way that i thought was clever and not so heavy-handed um because i think everything kind of comes together pretty organically and that that kind of loving affectionate tribute to it is what I think we came back to Star Wars for, is what I think we came back to these things for. Because we love those movies so much and we really do want it to keep going, but we don't know how it can really do the same thing again as well. You know, um, and I think this it's is- gonna be different, but not too different, be different because people get not, mad. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> people were so angry with The Last Jedi, you know? And it's one of my favorite ones in the franchise, you know? And I'm not like a super Star Wars fan, but like, I just loved that he was so daring to take something that existed for so long and do something so bold and new with it. Um, and I think that in some ways, like you're always going to piss off fans that way, but you're also creating a space where something fresh and something new can happen. 
Otherwise, it stagnates and it becomes the same formula over and over and over again. And if that's what you want, you want that comfort food, then just watch the old ones. You know, like if we're going to advance, if we're going to progress, let's let's take some bold, some big swings. Let's take some risks, you know. And I think this film takes some of them and I thought it did a good job. Well, they even point out in this film, if Sidney Prescott were to survive this five times, that'd just be silly. You know what I mean? Like whenever you redo the same thing so many times, it just becomes becomes absurd. They're going to be 60 years old and she's going to have her cane and she's going to be ready to go. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, it's just, it gets silly at some point. At some Mm -hmm. point we got to like, we got to take out a legacy care, which we haven't mentioned. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, 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 no, let's go there. there. Let's go there. Let's because, uh, I mean, we talked about how much we liked how the legacy characters were deployed in the spoiler-free section. But let's just talk about it. By the way, a fan is the one who kills Dewey. I just want to point out, a fan yep. murders the character they the quote-unquote loved. I just to which think. it was an honor. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that fake out. That yeah. trailer fake out. When you think it's Sydney. Yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, Sydney, it's an honor. No, that is yeah. not what happened. And it's then when you hear that line, it hits a lot different uh-huh. when it happen- actually happens in the movie. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, that hurts. Uh, I mean, firstly, just David Arquette, we already mentioned nailing it out of the park. Uh, awesome, upsetting death scene, but necessary because it did add stick. I mean, just like, just like the format, it adds stakes. Randy's was brutal. Like Randy's was like unsettling. And this one was like kind of the same. It was just like, with other people, like you're like, okay, like I think they could maybe survive that. <laughs> but even with the scream time he's given, but you know, the, the death was brutal and it was, it felt like it had a really meaning and purpose, which was great. But I even liked his earlier scenes. Again, he just calls it first scene. They even point out in the movie, Dewey's like, how long have you known your boyfriend? Yeah. Uh, six months, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he, he, similar to like Randy's movie, uh, the, the video store scene in Scream One, like <laughs> basically like yeah. lays up the, it out the right movie there. right there, you know? And, uh, I just thought and we never that. trust it. That's the funny thing is we never trust. Well, I don't know. I can't say you might have. Maybe you guys revealed the you knew the answer at the end about who the killer was. But we never trust it in the moment because we're like, no, it's a scream movie. They're throwing red herrings everywhere they go. You don't know which ones to trust and which ones to disregard because they, you know, they're all over the place. But, you know, well, that's so. like if you look at the office, it's it's never the person you most expect it's never the person you least expect. It's the person that you medium expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going back to the Dewey death, it was sad because Gail comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You're yeah. just like, there's redemption here. There's reconnection here. There's something that's bringing her back with him. She was angry that she that he just texted and didn't call. So <laughs> she cares. That was awesome, yeah. by the way. That whole, yeah. the, the Dewey yeah. texting her like, hey, Ghostface. That was that was really good. That was good. And so you're given this false hope, this set of expectations of like, oh, wow, like we're going to get that feeling back that we had from Scream 3. We're like, they're together. They're a couple they're in love and you're like, this is going to fall back into place and we're going to have that level of comfort again. And then he has to do the, got to shoot him in the head. He goes, it's important to me. And then goes back and that's the last thing he ever did. Did you guys, did you guys know like the second he didn't get go back, get on the elevator? Were you, what are you guys oh, yeah. thinking? No, I didn't. I, I honestly, I actually, I don't know. Cause you know, the killer can't be revealed then. But then you also like Dewey survived so many things. It's yeah. just like stabbed a lot. Yeah, maybe he'll. I thought it. they were going to like make his death 
happen or like make us believe it happened and then have some explanation for later on how he came back like he always does like scream too when he gets stabbed a bunch of times and you see him bloody handprints i do think it does have, like you said it adds stakes it definitely has an emotional component to it that again deepens this relationship that we have with these characters and re- make us realize that okay no one's really safe anymore you know uh, moving forward so i think it was necessary that one of them had to die I wish it was Gail. But oh, everyone says it. wish it was Gail, and I don't get that at all. Because she's the most selfish of the bunch, okay? Yeah. That's fair, I guess. All right? Yeah, but that's why it had to be Dewey. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. he's gotta... the one that we all love the most. And he's the one of above everyone else feels like he'd do the right thing. Exactly. You know? Yeah. He, he's the one, because, yeah, we have that uh, emotional connection to him, because he's always been, not always, but a lot of times, especially early on, he was more of the goofball. Um, and so, yeah, we have that special connection to him because he's like, oh, we just want to protect him, you know? Um, but that's why, you know, unfortunately he had to go because it would be the most emotionally painful for us to watch. That is true. (laughs) Hey man, going out Han Solo style, dropping all sorts of spoilers today, but you know, (laughs) um, no franchise is safe in this podcast. So, so let, let's go into the last topic here and, and sort of start to wind down our conversation here. And, and I just want to talk about whether or not we want this franchise to continue. And here's the thing. I don't think we have a choice. As, as Brock has already made very clear, studios are just going to go where the money's at. Well, here's the thing. Uh, unlike The Matrix 4, which I think Lana Wachowski is very happy is the last one because it bombed, by the way. Uh, Scream 2022 opened at $34 million over its opening weekend on Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend against a budget of $24 million and is showing no signs of slowing down. So you know what that means? More sequels. I, I guess the, the question I'm going to pose for the table is, do we really think there's enough to be said about the state of horror to warrant sequels? Uh, because I, I really feel like one of the key things and consistent themes we've talked about with each one of these films is that they all have something to say about something related to the horror genre. So what else is left to be said? I don't know, Zach. I'll turn to you. Kick us off. Do you, you you just watched them all, having yeah. without the baggage of you know twenty five years of fandom. Like, do you want to see more of these things? Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think we need more. But if they were gonna do more, which I feel like is probably inevitable eventually, um, the only thing I could possibly think of that could potentially work. Uh, if handled well, um, would be uh, basically the franchise send off, uh, which that means the one where Sydney dies, mm-hmm. um, where she's the killer. Could I don't like that idea, but you could if you <laughs> yeah. want to. I don't either. Um, but, you know. but but yeah, like I think if they were going to do anything, because this franchise. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because this movie is the first one where she isn't the focus. Um, and I think the the killers are happy to get the chance to kill her, but it's not their main goal. Um, whereas all the others, it's been their primary goal to kill Sydney, um, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, but uh, I think so much of this franchise is about Sydney and her story with all of this ghost face nonsense. Um, so I think if you were going to do another chapter, um, that would be the one to do it. It would be the one where she's, she's got to go. It's gotta be the end of her story. 
Um, which would be a bummer because I love Sydney. Um, she's great. And I would be really sad to see her go. But if you did it in a, and you could handle it in a, you know, you know, this is the franchise send off where <laughs> this is the last screen movie. And then if they do any others, it's a full clean reboot. Uh, or if you handled it right in like, uh, I think Creed two did this pretty well as sort of a franchise send off for Rocky, um, where it has these two movies that fully set up this new character that we can follow beyond Rocky. Um, because the movie even ends with, uh, Creed wins his fight or whatever. Um, and then you see Rocky kind of look from the distance, you know, satisfied, you know, happy for this new kid. Um, and then he, uh, walks away from the camera, like down the hallway out of focus as it's kind of like, it's a nice little moment to where like, and Rocky is done, you know? Um, so they can do, they can keep making Creed movies, but they don't need to necessarily bring Rocky back. And you could potentially set up a franchise send off for scream like that for Sydney. Um, I mean, she'd have to die at the end. She can't just walk away. That's the problem. As long as she's alive, it'll keep haunting her sort of thing. Yeah. So you'd need to do something, you know, probably where she dies heroically, you know, helping to foil the bad guy, the killer killers at the end. Um, but still is mortally wounded and you get a nice little send off of, uh, maybe she gets a tearful goodbye between her and, and some of the new sir, new cast or something like that. Um, but I say that I think Gail could live if she, you don't have to kill everybody. That's a thought I had today on if they were to make another screen movie. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I that's that's way. probably what you'd have to do uh, in order to make it work. Yep. In my brain. I like that. I like that. LaRon Chapman. I do think it's the only way it could work. Um, I personally don't need any more. I think this is the perfect send off. I think it's great that, you know, Wes died. I think he would be very proud of this film because it is a love letter to everything that came before. It wasn't like some dudes be like, hey, we know how to make a cool Scream movie. We don't need to do, you know, it does feel like they they definitely, there's a, a lot of affection for what came prior. Um, lots of nods, lots of references. Um, and I think that this is kind of the, a, a good adequate conclusion to this story. If they did do more, then I think the only thing that I would accept is, is very similar to what um, Zach has pointed out um, that we have to get rid of the co- the central core in some capacity, namely Sydney. Um, otherwise there's no other direction for this to go other than for this to just get repetitive mon- monotonous and, you know, uninteresting, you know, um, it was like you said, there's nothing else to comment on. Um, but maybe losing a legacy character, then we can broaden and do different things and bend the genre and do different cool things with it that they haven't done prior, you know? So, okay. All right. So acceptable on very specific terms, Brock. I mean, I kind of agree with everybody else. Like I was, I was, I enjoyed the, you know, five so much that do I want another one? Yes. But it's kind of like whenever you're, eating something enjoyable. You're like, Oh, I'll go for another slice, another piece of cake. And you eat it. And you're like, Oh shit, I should have stopped. Now I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah. Like you think you want it, then you get it. And you're like, nah, that was a mistake. Um, so I mean, is it better to burn out or fade away? So it's kind of you know, just like that. I think they should end it. They 
they told the, a really good story. They left it on a really cool note. And again, you'd have to kill Sydney. Yeah, bring her back another time. I mean, even this one wasn't so much of a stretch. And here's why. Circling back to sort of the theme of trauma and how she has dealt with it. I think that's actually, again, that's not the main theme of every movie, but for her arc, that's low key been the thing that's been consistent throughout all of them. We didn't talk about too much when we hit on screen four in the last one, but not when she wrote a book as a way to sort of process it. And someone wanted what she had because she wrote the book is sort of like the story here in this one. It seems like she's resolved and moved on, finally figured out a way to move on. She's in the movie to help another person get through a similar grieving process. That's pretty cool. That's pretty powerful. There really is nothing else you can do other than kill her. But even then, Man, you'd have to have a really damn good idea for like how to do that yeah. because like She's you, you say, clever. I know <laughs> it, yeah, that's and for it to be like an emotionally satisfying way for her to go out or something. Yeah. It's on a high note. Let, yeah. it, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. What if they legitimately brought like a chrome no. <laughs> from Stab Eight and, and Ryan Johnson was the director? <laughs> People would go see it. Like it would be terrible. But no, they would absolutely. If Ryan Johnson wanted to make a screen movie, I'm I'm there. Yeah. Allegedly, based on screen five. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, we've been talking for about an hour and a half on this movie. It's been a fun talk, but I think we do need to wrap it up. Brock Lay, where can listeners keep up with doing your work today? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at brockness underscore monster. Excellent. Brock, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you tonight. Always. Thank you so much. Zachary Burns, where can people follow you and your work online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at left eye burns awesome and laron chapman birthday boy birthday <laughs> month birthday birthday person uh where can people follow you in your work online uh people can follow me on um facebook at my name laron chapman and also on instagram at black movie magic okc Awesome. And people can follow me uh, tweeting about uh, films and television and video games on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That is the letter C Masters Talk. You can also follow all of our work at the Cinematropolis over at the Cinematropolis.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis or on Twitter at the Cinematrop. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Again, I want to reiterate, if you enjoyed this conversation, check out our retrospective episode that posted last week. We'll catch you again next time. Uh...